Hey, everybody. <laughs> it's then again. With Ken and Glenn. Yeah, that's us. And uh, we're in Rome again. Then again with Rome and Glenn. <laughs> no. When I was the when I was the one of the triumvirs of the Latin Club when I was in high school, we had a little subgroup of us that were uh, uh, selling candies and things and cookies to raise money to go to Rome. We were called the Rome in eighty Club. This is telling you how old I am because that was nineteen eighty. We were going to go to Rome in nineteen eighty, and uh, our slogan was Roma in Italia est. We wish we were too. <laughs> Roma in Italia est means Rome is in Italy. <laughs> We wish we were, too. So, anyway, the roots go deep is what I'm yes. trying to say here. Uh, so, we're we're doing, uh, I guess this is part two of our, uh, our Rome podcast. Yeah, we talked about the, the miniser- HBO miniseries last time, so we wanted to delve into some of the actual history uh, of Rome and, and what that miniseries actually set itself in the middle of. Exactly. And you know what? Let's just go ahead and start with the beginning. <laughs> How about that? We're going to get all chronological on you. Tarquin the Proud. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, we're going to go back. So... To reference this, the series again, there are some lovely scenes where Brutus and his mother, a big deal, you know, she's putting a lot of pressure on him to act because of, you know, the, the family's history in driving out the last king, driving the king away and Rome transitioning from a kingdom to a republic. And so, you know, the, the mythological origins of Rome sounding are, you know, Romulus and Remus suckling at the teat of a she-wolf, and that's why the Romans are so fierce and all that sort of thing. But really, that... Probably didn't really happen. I'm saying probably because, you well, know, we, we got to do our research. <laughs> the past is the past. It uh, happened there. Exactly. Um, but we do know that, of course, the precursor civilization and society, the culture to Rome, were the Etruscans. And it's their society that sort of shows the tribes that are the Roman tribes on the seven hills in the area that's going to become the city of Rome. Wow, look at look at this culture. They've got some things we're going to start copying. That's from the outset, that, Rome is it's the hallmark. <laughs> they see something that works, and they go, let's do that too, and let's do it better. It is very Roman to borrow those things. Right. And and to their credit, some people may say, oh, they, they raped every culture they came in contact with. On the other hand, give them the credit for being able to recognize that lots of other people did lots of other things better exactly. than them. They were, they were totally fine with saying, oh, we, we really don't have a good culture. We'll take this. We'll take that. That works. Greek right. gods, those are nice. Right, um, right. And they borrowed everything and created that thing that we think of as Rome. Exactly. And so, you know, one of the things where there's a difference, though, is the actual system of governance of the city or of the city-state as it becomes. You know, the, uh, the Etruscans, it, it is a king. It is a royal family. And as the what becomes Rome and the Etruscan society interacts, eventually they're like, we don't want a king in Rome. Remember, we're not saying this is everybody has a voice, but we want people to have a voice in how this city is governed. We don't want a king. And so, hearkening back to Brutus's illustrious ancestors, he's, according to legend, one of the ones that drives that final king out. And the republic is born, and, and the Romans are very proud of this republic. The, the republic is everything because it is, you know, that the root of the word is reus publica, which basically translates as the public thing. Yeah. And and so this republic was a way that at least the those who were enfranchised, which was generally the larger families and, and the members of those families, right. were the ones who controlled what happened in, and remember, this is really just the city of Rome and its outskirts at the beginning yeah. with, the, with the Etruscans. Right. And Rome 
ha, Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> and, and so Rome eventually starts Nor to... was it destroyed in a no, day. No, it was not. <laughs> we'll get That's... to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> or another episode, God help us. And, and Rome begins to expand, and, and it, it starts to go down into Italy. And, and it takes it a long time, actually, to conquer slash absorb everything that is in the Italian peninsula. Right. That takes it several hundred years. And then it very rapidly <laughs> becomes a world power almost in a matter of self-defense. And there's another old saw that says that, that Rome basically conquered the world in self-defense. Yeah. And the first big culture it came up against was the Carthaginians right. in North Africa. And they were a very much a, sea, a seafaring people. They were very rich. Uh, they traded throughout the Mediterranean. Had a pretty good army too, they, like the Romans. Th- they did. They had a good army, and and basically on the north. So on the north coast of Africa, you have the Carthaginians. The southern coast of Europe, you have the Romans, and these two eventually come into conflict. And that conflict, it is impossible to over describe the the visceral violence and destruction that took place in this series of what's called the Punic Wars. Exactly. Um, there are. Th- oh, we got to do a podcast on the Punic Wars. <laughs> I know. There, I was just thinking are, that. <laughs> there are three of them. This is where Hannibal right. uh, comes in. It's the Second Punic War. Right. Very awesome. Long story short, Rome wins. Right. And but and, but 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 to your point a second ago about how Rome didn't didn't conquer all of the Italian peninsula, you know, overnight. It was a process. At the time of the Punic Wars. Rome's influence was not necessarily absolute on the Italian peninsula. Nope. That's one of the things that that Hannibal exploits when he invades Rome by doing the famous march, you know, through the Alps right. and coming in from the north. You know, there there are some of the other uh, cities, city states, and tribes in Rome that go over to this, or, or excuse me, in Italy that go over to the Carthaginian side, be- right? Because Rome's power at that point isn't absolute. And, and and it is actually the smaller of the powers. And, it is. And, but because Rome is so adaptive and will not give up, Rome defeats Carthage. Yeah. And what ends up happening is it's, it's during these wars that Rome becomes a powerhouse, and when it truly finally defeats Carthage, it inherits much of the Mediterranean as either colonies or right. subject states or things like that. Spain, all of North Af- important. Yes, oh, Spain, Spain, all of North Africa, a touch of, of Egypt, it gets in the course of the Punic War. So it goes from being a local peninsular power right. to literally, for the for the time we're speaking of, right. a world power. Right. The Mediterranean world power. And, it, and it's yeah. ruled from the city of Rome. And so you can't go through something like that that only happens really in about two generations without getting the idea that we're something special. The gods have indeed meant us to rule and to govern the world. And as is not unusual when a country defeats its major and only real rival for unprecedented power, oh, look, there's not an external enemy anymore. Rome promptly turns on itself, and the <laughs> civil wars begin. And, th- and that's really where the Rome miniseries sort of looks at those the most intense of those right. civil wars, it, and, and it's those civil wars and that struggle that takes it from a republic, right, a, a, a Mediterranean republic, to a Mediterranean. It's not a monarchy, because the Romans, <laughs> even then, still hate the idea of a king. That's yep. why they were so opposed to Caesar, which is why Caesar Augustus, as you mentioned last right. episode, is not king. He's not even really he, emperor. He's merely first citizen. He's the first citizen. Princeps civis. And by the way, princeps, what does that word become later on? Prince. Prince. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so, but that's but that's the very important thing to make, is that this transition, oh my gosh, you, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to know how much of what 
Octavian slash Caesar Augustus said about his motives, he really believed. But at least ostensibly, at least on paper, it's no, no, I'm not doing away with the Republic. I'm I'm saving the Republic. I'm keeping the forms and function of the Republic. And to an extent, yes, except also, as the meme you say says, also no, (laughs) because the Senate's still there. You know, after after you know, yeah, that, the Senate doesn't there's go that away. First wave of civil wars between you know Magnus and Pompey, and then Caesar and Pompey, and then excuse me, Crassus, and then uh, and then you know the inter almost interfamily rivalry between uh, you know Mark Antony and, and and Octavian, and then Cleopatra, and then all that's finally settled. You know, this is about a hundred years, right at a hundred years of civil war, and finally it ends, and the Senate is still there. The Senate does still pass laws. The Senate does still you know, work with the magistrates in Rome to run that million-plus inhabitant city, but all with this final yes or no of one person. The Caesar. The Caesar. Caesar Augustus. Um, And that stays with us for so long. Many of you may already know this, but think about the term Caesar. Right. We get the term czar from the word, the term Kaiser comes from Caesar. So that yeah. that idea of a singular person in charge of things carries through in the cultures a long way. Yes, it does. A long way. Yes, it does. And 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 when the, the power in Rome is more or less centralized into one person or one family, you get the Pax Romanica. You well, and there you just said something very interesting. You said one person or one family. Because that's, once again, kingdom or kingship is hereditary, and it's not being called a king, yet Octavian... Augustus Caesar is trying to pass along the title of emperor or imperator to his own family, keep it in the family. But it's not a kingship. It's not a kingship. But I'm keeping absolute power in the family. Well, then what is it? And, and but, then if you're in that family, yeah, you want to be the one. You want to be the one. But that quickly breaks down because there's there's not a whole lot of continuity, uh, long-term continuity, because by, by what, by 69 AD, you know, just 69 years after consolidation of power under under Octavian, you know, that's the year of how many emperors they have just in the year 69 AD? There's, there's... Uh, year of three or four. Right, there's three so, or four. So, there's, so there's already this, you know, the, I was about to say the system breaks down, but it's not that the system breaks down, it's that they haven't yet worked out what the system is. Octavian... Augustus Caesar never really puts in place a definitive system. So because to do so would mean that he's king. Would mean that he's king. So so you know you wind up basically having just a roll of the dice every couple of generations with Rome at the height of its power. Right. You know are you are you getting lucky and that he's good and he managed to be the, the emperor manages to be strong and have a strong successor. You, you have an era where they refer to it as the five good emperors. Hey, five good emperors in a row. Great. Right. Followed by 15 five really horrible really ones. ones. And then the era of four good emperors. Yeah. yeah. And then 10 bad ones, <laughs> you know, and then some mediocre ones. It's just up and down. And that's no way to run the most powerful European entity until the modern era. It eventually winds up costing the empire's existence. It, well... Eventually, sort of, and this and this this is another one of those myths. Let's right. let's do some role playing, Ken. Okay. Hello. I'm Australia. No, it's <laughs> not Australia. Hello, hello, person of history. Hello there. You know that Rome fell, right? It did, and it didn't get back up. When when did Rome fall? Uh, like, Rome. Uh, it, see, you see, I'm going ah uh, yes. because. How do you want to define fall? Did it was, you, it was it 410 when it abandoned its outposts in Britannia and other provinces? Was it and when it got attacked and 
slightly sacked? Or was right. it back in 467 when it got fully sacked? Or was it in... It was much like... Here's the deal, everyone. <laughs> so Rome gets so... It truly is a Mediterranean power. Right. Everywhere the Mediterranean is, Rome is. And even the emperors begin to realize this is too much for one person and right. one set of bureaucracies to control. So Justinian splits the empire in two between east and west. We will now have two emperors. Well, that always creates a situation where there's lots of conflict because, as we said last time, the money's in the east around Egypt and and Greece and things like that. So when we talk about the fall of Rome, we always talk about 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 the city of Rome. The city of Rome and Italy and and Europe and Spain and all those areas. But this guy named Constantine, he built a little city. Yes, (laughs) It was. It's Constantinople, now <laughs> not it's Istanbul. Istanbul. <laughs> but and so Eastern Empire, we we come to call that Byzantium, right? We come because but, of the little Greek village that was there, where Constantine built Constantinople. But, the and, and but they didn't call themselves they, Byzantine. They consider themselves, and legitimately so, the heirs of Rome, and they didn't go out of existence until 1453, when the Turks conquered the city. So right. you know. And the, then they did make it and Istanbul. Then they, well, not until 1923. Oh, that's true. It's yes. Constantinople. We, we just missed being able to go to Constantinople. Now we have to meet them in Istanbul. All right. We're referencing a song by They Might Be Giants off their 1990 uh, CD flood. Anyway, uh, but <laughs> the, the point you were just making a second ago, if you had gone up to citizen of Constantinople any time up until, you know, the city falls and they would have said, I am a Roman. They self-identified. They sure, viewed, yes. I'm a Roman. Our culture is Roman. We are the heirs of this thing. And if you look at, you know, the city of Rome celebrates kicking out the king, the final king in, what, around 500 or so? Yeah, 500 B.C. But, but, the, but they say the founding of the city of Rome was like 750. Constantinople was taken over in 1453. That's over a 2,000-year span that there was something that self-identified as a Roman Empire or country. Right. That's pretty astounding. And, and and so we have, yeah, so they maintained, they were kings and emperors by the by, by the point we get to Eastern Empire <laughs> right. and Byzantium, but, but, you know, they and they did trace that lineage all the way back, and they considered themselves Rome. Now, of course, in the West, we have, you've already heard us rant about the Dark Ages <laughs> and how they're not dark, but here's something to think about, too. The bureaucracy that Rome created was so strong that, while, quote, Rome fell, the bureaucracy it left in place continued. It continued really as the Christianized version. Words right. like bishop and ecclesiastical now refer to uh, church to, things. To, to church things, but they were just the terms for the local bureaucrats who and the bureaucratic things. process who exactly. administered things in the provinces. And, Glenn, I mean, the cool thing to also bear in mind is let's take, let's take Britain, for example. Yes, in 410, the, the emperor sends you know, word to the peoples of Britain, I'm withdrawing the troops, look to your own defense. But the peoples of Britain, by that time, despite having violently opposed Roman rule— you know, Well, not 200 years before. Well, well in the year 60—the big revolt was in 62 yeah. with Boudicca. Uh, the the famous queen, uh, but since then, after you know being thoroughly trounced by them, you know they then for three hundred years go just do business with them three hundred plus years and go huh as you like yeah. to, to do the Monty Python quote you know they realize <laughs> huh what have the Romans done for us well actually they've done quite a lot for they, us they basically built a social political economic and cultural system and. Holy moly, we're Romans now. Yeah, exactly. So when the empire withdraws, they keep the forms. They say, you know, 
this system of collecting taxes works. We still need right. taxes to have our cities and our things. Let's keep it. The, 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 that administrative structure, even if Rome is gone, they keep it. And that's kind of remarkable. And we talk about, once again, the Dark Ages. Coming up at our family day oh, that's right. <laughs> on October 13th, we're doing Rome. And the, the living history impression I'm doing is someone from Britain after Rome has withdrawn. What's called the, the sub-Roman or Celtic Britain. And what I'm going to be portraying is the King Arthur, if there was one and there wasn't, but this is what he would have looked like, <laughs> character. I just say there wasn't because there was no one really by that name. But there are some very true historic precedents for who he might be based on. But basically, you've got a guy, and you'll see this, I'll be wearing, you know, a Roman-style helmet, the late Roman gladius, uh, the, uh, excuse me, uh, cavalry sword, uh, a mixture of, of, of mail and locally made tunics and shoes, and it's, it's this amalgamum you get of elements that have survived from that Roman influence because it doesn't just, they don't just forget that Rome right. was there. They're hanging on to right. every bit of Rome they can it, and combining it with what they already had to begin with. It's, yes, it's an evolved Rome. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Just, just as Rome of. Again, it's like in the Road Warrior when <laughs> when <laughs> Mad Max is having to pull different pieces together. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's that's quite a metaphor you <laughs> just put together. The Road Warrior, all roads lead uh, to Rome. Road. Yeah, yes, uh, ding ding, uh, we win. Anyway, you're about to say. That was, I was I was gonna say just you know remember that the one aspect of Rome that's that stuck with it until the very end was its ability to adapt right. and evolve. And so Rome is, you know, over these 2,000 years, Rome, any time you pick, is going to be a very different creature from it was 100 Absolutely. years before or 200 years in the, in, in the future. But, but it's still Rome. Again, these people identify this way, and, and they hearken back to this idea. And so you'll see a lot of that at our family day. Right. A lot of that continuity will be will be portraying your your old classic hits of the typical Roman legionary, <laughs> right. but there's going to be a lot more th- more than just that. You know, some some of these soldiers from from right. We've got, Wars. We, we've got a, we're going to have a you know someone portraying uh, a garrison troop at Hadrian's Wall, and it's uh, one of our African American interpreters, because guess what? The Empire, which had held lands in Africa and the Middle East and mm-hmm. Europe, would pull people from wherever. And garrison where they needed to go. And Rome, that's the that's the interesting thing about Rome. There's so many things that our modern mindset may hate, but there's many things to admire. In exactly across the empire, if you had enough money and you wanted to be a citizen, poof, you're a citizen. We don't really care what your religion is. Right. We don't really care what color your skin is. We don't care what shape your nose is. We have emperors coming from the provinces. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was unheard of yet. They did it. When Trajan became emperor, he heard about it because he was up in Britain. Exactly. <laughs> and and yeah, so so they didn't as long as you paid your taxes, you were rich and you wanted to be a citizen, you were a citizen. Right. Right? You, and 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 you served your time and did all the things that was required that were required to be a citizen. But but they were also some that you got to be a citizen by having your province conquered a generation or two earlier, brutally. And right. Again, this is the great thing with Rome. They they want to export Rome. Right. That's literally what the word colonization right. comes from, right. the coloni. Uh, right. you exporting Rome. Yeah. And that segues nicely into the Renaissance is about rediscovering Rome, right. rediscovering the heritage. Because, you know, we make light about there's no such thing as the Dark Ages, but since there isn't a unified political entity spreading things in a in a uniform way a lot of things 
are either forgotten or not fully understood. And that's what the Renaissance is about. It's about, you know, all of these things coming out of the vaults, you know, in the right. Vatican or in these places in Italy. And they're going, hey, wait a second. The Romans did this this way. They painted this way. They had this bit of inquiry. And it's this big rediscovery of Rome. And that's going to have to be another podcast. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so Go. once again, Wale. That means bye in Latin. Wally, everybody. Wally. <laughs> then Again with Ken and Glenn is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. If you've enjoyed listening to Then Again with Ken and Glenn, please make sure that you subscribe and help us out by writing a review. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.